Hello and welcome, I'm Matt Peterson. And I am Rich Trapier. And this is episode 23 of History on the Table. Rich, I hear, I hear a little clinking going on over there. What are you drinking? I am drinking bourbon tonight. Nice, what kind? Yeah. Uh, it's from Ozark Distillery. Still got okay. left. Still got some left from when I went down there a couple months ago. That's what I was. Uh, I was in. Well, I went to the liquor store last night. Actually, I was getting some stuff for uh, Martinez's, and I went over to the Moonshine, and I uh, I was already buying enough, so I didn't get the. Uh, but I scoped out their Ozark Distillery Moonshine. Yeah, and yeah I was going to ask three, you a favor so. when when I see you in about what ten eleven weeks now. Um, I was going to send you some money and ask you to bring me some bourbon from Tomstown. I want to try that. Oh, well, I'll just bring the bottle. Yeah, I'm sure we can drink it. Because um, I have some. It's pretty good. But they're known for their gin. So I don't know if you're yeah, a gin drinker. not but... a gin guy. I had a had a bad experience with gin, and I don't go back down that road. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So how you been? I've been pretty good. Yeah, things are going great. Um, yeah, the, the, the weather turning warmer again after a short but very harsh winter we had there for a couple weeks um just being able to get outside again is is really nice so everything's good uh no complaints good well i'm glad glad to hear it uh just one quick bookkeeping thing and then we'll dive right into it so we have a discord server now uh you can come hang out and there's all kinds of stuff in there talking about uh rpgs or war games or euro games or drinks or uh, well, really a whole lot of miniature wargaming talk, but we'll get into that later. Uh, just send me a message or an email if you want to get invited. Yeah, and if you're looking for people to play with, that's a great way to find us and the other people as well. Yeah, yeah, we got a looking for game section. We got a, a game of 1849 running out of there. Uh, yeah, some good stuff. Someone talking about playing Nevsky, Zach. Yeah, so... Uh, check it out. I just like the links expire after so many days. It's not like exclusive or anything. You just got to ask for me to generate a new link and I'll get it over to you. So check that out. And then we have all the other stuff that I'll uh, plug at the end of the show, but I just wanted to announce that real quick. Uh, but that's enough like overhead stuff. Should we get right into it? Should we talk about some, uh, some games that were uncovered from the Indiana Jones warehouse? Yeah, well, I actually only got one from there. The other one I got could have been from there, but I got from someone else, actually. So, uh, yeah, when when GMT was cleaning out their, or not whoa, GMT, whoa, MMP, whoa. <laughs> was cleaning out their closets and looking under the tables and everything, apparently they found a copy of uh, Fishtung Budapest with my name on it. So, yeah, I picked that up immediately because I've been wanting that for a while. And, I mean, that's, that's one man. of those, it's historical ASL. Um, it's, it's huge. It's, it's still in the shrink wrap, so I haven't even opened it yet, but it's every bit as big as like red factories. It's, it's much bigger than like Hatton and flames or something. But, you know, a month ago, if I wanted to buy a copy of that, I'd go on, you know, an ASL buy, sell trade or something like that. And somebody say, yeah, sure. I'll give it to you for 500 bucks. So oh, no, I got it no, for no, much less than that. No, I bought mine punched for just a little bit more than what, um, punched and clipped. Really, you got a good yeah. deal then, because I've been keeping an eye out for it. It's one that I've wanted for a while, and I haven't yeah, been able to it find it at reasonable price. That is a fantastic map. Yeah, good. I'm looking forward to playing it. I've been getting last year, or so I've been playing more historical ASL, and I'm loving it. 
And then the other one was uh, actually just someone from the guild was putting up some games and, and I got a copy of OCS Smolensk for not much money, which is uh, Smolensk is the smallest OCS game, which is nice because it, you know, easily fits on a table and everything. And um, it's just one I didn't have. So I picked that one up for very little, very little money. Nice. Good. Yeah. So uh, I went a little crazy. Not not too bad, but um, like when two great white buffaloes pop up, it's, it's hard to turn <laughs> them down. So um, we've talked about line of battle. Uh, Last chance for victory uh, popped up in somewhere in the MMP headquarters, uh, which is the Gettysburg line of battle game. I think and they found that, it next to my copy of Feshtang Budapest. Imagine that. And then behind those two was a copy of Gadarian's Blitzkrieg 2. Don't really say no to that. I would rather have Case Blue or uh, Dak. I really want Dak. <laughs> uh, but, like, when presented with opportunity, and then honestly, the one I'm actually maybe not more excited, but really intrigued by is Burma, which is another OCS game. Uh, Gadarian's Blitzkrieg 2 is also an, an OCS title. Yeah. Uh, and Burma, which is. Um, well, Burma in 1944. And that's, I've watched that played live, um, and that should be a, a really fun OCS title. What's the size on that one? Uh, you know, I don't know, because I, I watched it on Vassal, so I, okay. didn't, I didn't see it live in person. But, you know, even the big ones have little one-map scenarios. Right, typically. right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, um, you know you uh you swapped up companies there but it's probably worth mentioning that gmt had a pretty big announcement yesterday oh yeah definitely after a false start on tuesday <laughs> so how did that happen because I, I there was a few teases and i yeah. saw you even teased it and then redacted yourself so how, well how did i don't you... think it was supposed to be out yet so i didn't, yeah, I didn't how want did to be you that find guy. it some guy uh screen grabbed it and posted it on facebook in the gmt group i think okay and then if you search for it, it didn't pop up. So we're talking about uh, Vietnam 1965 to 1975 uh, is being reprinted by GMT and a little bit redeveloped um, with some just so it sounds like some streamlining and a bigger map and new new graphics that I really like. Yeah, uh, really great art in the whole box, actually. And uh, an updated rule book, which is, you know, yeah. I mean, considering the way they wrote rule books in the 80s, that's that's not a small thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do with my two copies of the old one, but I'll probably <laughs> keep them. But uh, I mean, I was already going to Frankenstein one, uh, but that's that's a pretty big deal. That's uh, that's exciting because I only ever hear good things about that game, and that probably yeah. won't get me to play it sooner. Yeah, I actually was about to start a game of that maybe six months ago or so, probably not even that, maybe four months ago. And the f- local friend of mine, we were going to play, I think we were going to play face-to-face, so... Must not have been six months. I don't remember. But anyway, we were going to play face to face last year. And for multiple reasons, he couldn't do it then. So when they announced a reprint yesterday, I'm like, hey, you got no excuses now. You got to play. Right. That's right. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I might as well go look at the rest of the GMT update. And, you know, it just didn't really hold a flame to nothing else was like whoa it really kind of stole the show uh in my opinion so really yeah, excited they've got for some that. teases about some upcoming p500 games that look interesting but hmm. without actually seeing them it's hard to say yeah that's got to be a big one so um originally vietnam 1965 to 75 was printed by was that victory games or victory games yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. is victory games uh designed by nick carp 
and like I just I wonder what the like rights process is to to board games, especially if you're doing new art. You know, like does does Nick hold that stuff? I mean, Victory Games is gone, so I guess the rights revert back to the designer. I have no idea. I I think it's interesting and probably yeah, a little bit of a. I suspect it's in the designer's hands, and I have no idea if Nick Carp is around or anything. So yeah, he's alive. Is he okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's stories of like I think he goes to Consum World. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's very exciting news. Uh, but the MMP sale was also really exciting. There's probably a few. Oh, I got one of the ASL packs because you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. But yeah, I was in for like <laughs> ten pounds by that point. Uh, that was very exciting. And I like before I even tweeted it out or posted it anywhere. I was like, let me just grab this, this, and this, and make sure I got it. <laughs> hey guys, come look what's on sale over here. Uh, good. Uh, let's talk about some books. How about that? Um. I've been reading a ton lately and it's, it's been all really good stuff. Uh, so last year we talked, or maybe even the year before we talked about the Hobbit Mm -hmm. and I thought it was just okay. (laughs) Um, the, the fellowship of the ring. I don't know. Have you, have you heard of this book? The fellowship of the ring? It was phenomenal. I think I might've read it 20 times. Yeah. 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 Uh, (laughs) so this was my first time. Um, and I, I couldn't get enough of it. It was, fantastic the audiobook the narrator it's some old british dude recorded is it rob inglis yep yeah that's a good one he's he's good oh man and the songs are fantastic oh yeah yeah amazing. so you've only I, you've, you've only read fellowship so far you haven't done the whole trilogy right i've only done fellowship i i had some other books checked out that i got a i'm reading red rising because that that board game got announced so i was like well i'll read the book because the board game looks interesting and uh so you're talking about red storm rising no 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 uh it's a book called red rising it's like a trilogy um people are like organized into different color groups and it's like a i think it's like a dystopian future set on mars i'm hardly into it just like an hour or so into it interesting uh and then i read have you read much stuff on dmbm foo i've only read one um and i read the one i read was I can't remember what exactly what it's called, but it's like from like the Army Historical Society or something like oh, that. It okay. wasn't by like a regular author or something like that. So it was it was very fact based, but it was good. So there there is a newer book. So you know if you go watch um, uh, Bruce Garrick's really interesting videos on DMB and Fu on his last episode, he recommends some books. And I don't th- I think when he made that video, he hadn't read Valley of the Shadow yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read Valley of the Shadow, The Siege of Dian Fu. Um, it was really good. I, I want to get the game played. That's kind of the goal in reading it. Um, and Are you talking it, about Dian Bien Fu, The Final Gamble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I've got that on my uh, shelf here, too. I bought it because of him, and I right. never got around to playing the thing. So. I think, uh, I, to be honest, I, I really do think a lot of people bought it because of him. One, <laughs> like, you have sway. Like podcasts have sway right so if someone's gonna say yeah this is my favorite game of all time like that's gonna influence people but then that video series was yeah. really well done and he just talks about what a great experience it is which right. you know we've we've talked about that before it's neither of us are like super competitive in our war games but we like the experience right right so this book is uh pretty brief i wish it would have given like a little more backstory you're just kind of thrown into it pretty quick but one of the things i appreciated most is at the end of the chapter he gave a a summary 
because there's a lot of French names and it, it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, outposts and stuff to keep track of. And it was actually really nice to get. Yeah, like, they're all uh, named after French ladies. In, yeah, right. In summary, here's what happened. And and he made some really good points, too, about like um, the the French belief for so long or I think the popular belief for so long was the fall of Dien Bien Phu was because it was inferior troops that weren't Frenchmen, right? It was troops yeah. from Africa, troops from Asia. And he makes a very good but kind of obvious on the nose point, like, um, well, they beat you guys, you know? Yeah. And, like, they beat the French guy. So it was um, – there's a whole lot more going on in the book, but I really recommend it. Uh, I haven't read the other – Diamond stuff, but uh, it was a good one to start with, I think. You have to check this one out. I think I've kind of decided in the last 24 hours or so that 2021 is going to be the year of Vietnam for me. Nice. I mean, I think uh, so I'm playing next to Vietnam now, and Dien Bien Phu is on my list, and I've got Downtown, which I love, and I'd love to play more, and then I have no idea when this Vietnam 65-75 game is out, but I've got the old one, too, so sure. um Yeah. I, I'll definitely pick this book up and read this because the one I read, it was, like I said, it was very fact-based, but it was interesting because it was very, you know, didn't tell a lot of like the little stories, but definitely gave you an idea of what was going on. It was a good book. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it was sure. from like the Military Historical Society or Army Historical Society or something like that. Yeah, and I think uh, he, he like... Um less so than if you remember the battle midway we book battle of midway book we read where they really from the outset were like hey we're here to change the story of of midway right 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 and and he does that to a certain extent here but it's it's less it's more subtle Mm -hmm. um but he does like i think bernard falls book was kind of the go-to for so long and he kind of points out some discrepancies and some of them are really helpful some of them are like discrepancies in artillery piece count which is important but in how it's couched in the story but also it's like well i don't really care how many yeah. shells they had are you talking about from the french side or the vietnamese side both both it, okay because it, it like i think that's another thing that like chalks up into excuses um is like oh their artillery way outnumbered us and i i think his point is it it doesn't really boil down yeah. just to the the siege power out you know so uh, I think with the, from the Vietnamese side, so it's it's not so much about how many pieces they had. I mean, it's just part of the legend how they got those pieces into place. Yeah, right. That was freaking amazing. Right. Yeah. Well, the whole. I mean, they never. So, <laughs> I did not expect to. Uh, but that's great uh, to go into this much detail. But just the logistics from a whole supply, like that. That was the French's problem. Is they never thought that. Um, they'd be able to push that far and maintain an offensive for that long. And it it is a pretty impressive story of how they were able to stay supplied with like bicycles, you know, (laughs) shit like that. It's it's good. Yeah. Check it out. Yep. Um, And then real quick, I think I've talked about Anthony B Anthony Beaver's uh, Stalingrad. I think I've heard of that guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, So I'm reading that. I I talked about it on the the YouTube series as well. I won't spend a whole lot about it. Uh, I like Beaver's stuff. Uh, I was talking to uh, Buddy Zach on our Discord about, and he's not a Beaver fan, which I think is fine. He recommended some other really good Stalingrad stuff uh, that I'd like to check out. But I certainly like this more than Enemy at the Gates because right from the get-go, 
the Germans don't get a pass for the <laughs> bullshit, and and I appreciate that. So that's good. And then I'm just going to mention this real quick because I'm sure we're going to talk about the end is Horus Rising, which is the first book in the Horus Heresy, which is the Warhammer 40k lore. Oh, okay. This, this is just yeah, military stuff blowing up, porn, but it's actually way better than I ever would have imagined. That's interesting to hear because I have never read any fiction that was like based on any sort of game or video game or anything like that. Yeah, it's good. Um, Dan Abnett is a really good uh, Marvel comic book writer. He did a lot of the space stuff. So, like, where Star-Lord comes from and shit like that. Uh, okay. So, like, and some of the stuff I've heard is not good, but I've heard that you can pretty much read anything Dan Abnett writes, and then there's another guy, McNeil, and his stuff's supposed to be pretty good. But, like, I went in with a really low expectation and not knowing much about Warhammer at all, like, just what I've learned in the last week, and it was really freaking good. Cool. Yeah. You're going all into Warhammer. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. No, yeah. I, I am trying You're going to be broke go by the in. end of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. That's I am trying not to do that very much so. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot. And then I've got other stuff going on, too. But I've just I've spent a lot of time reading lately. and It's been good. What about you? Um, I'm reading a book right now called Ghost Soldiers. I'm about halfway through. Have you read this one before? I've read Hampton Sides and I okay. own this one. But yeah, by Hampton it. Sides. It is freaking really good and it's from one of those little parts of the war that i don't have know too much about it's from it's it's during the sort of the i guess you would call it the liberation of the philippines when the u.s was reconquering the philippine islands um and at that time there were a lot of japanese prisoner war camps in the philippines and as a lot of people probably already know this didn't happen on every one of them but the japanese were sort of under orders basically saying, if you're about to get overrun, just kill all the prisoners. So the U.S. kind of knew that this was happening, and there was a certain Philippine camp, there was a certain camp that had been there since the beginning of the war, since the Bataan Death March, and had something like 500 guys in it or something like that. And the U.S. is like, okay, we're going to save these guys. Before we overrun the camp, we're going to send this ranger battalion in to rescue these guys. And it kind of goes back and forth between the beginning of the war, when they all got taken prisoners, and then flipping back to the actual raid that it's going to save all these guys. And um, it's, it's just really good. It's, it's well-written. It's interesting. And it's one of those, you know, when you think about the Pacific war, you hear a lot about the aircraft and the naval stuff, but you don't hear quite as much about some of the ground units and land, you know, army, even the Marine Corps on land, but this is an army thing. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Have you read his chosen reservoir book book? No, I have not, but I've been playing OCS Korea, so I'm looking for something Korea-related that's not... I mean, like, right now I'm, I'm listening to uh, the the Max Hastings Vietnam, and I know he's also got a Korea book, but I'm not really interested in anything that big for Korea. I'd love to read something smaller about Joseon. Yes, uh, grab grab uh, Sides books. It's one of my uh, favorite nonfiction books I've read. It's fantastic. Yeah. And then for our book club, we're doing Aces Falling. Have you been reading this one? No, no. This doesn't you're, do much for me. You're not right. missing out on much. <laughs> really? I mean, it's okay. It's it's not terrible. It's just, I think, air power in World War One was kind of a sideshow. So sure. while some of it is interesting, and I do like the fact that they use a lot of direct quotes from both sides, that is probably the best part of the book. Um, but just 
you know, you get the idea that these guys are doing this stuff and they're not really having that big an effect on the war. So it's not that big a deal anyway. So it's okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. I finished it and I thought, eh, that's fine. I'm not never going to want to read that again. So, Hmm. um, there, there was, she was another world war one air combat book. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but that one looked more interesting to me. But at this point, um, not, I got what I wanted out of that and I'm done. Right. You're not, you're not circling back. To, <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't um, and then my wife and I just finished, I, I've already read the whole trilogy before, but the well of Ascension by mm-hmm. Brandon Sanderson, the second book in the Mistborn trilogy. So mm-hmm. she is just loving the hell out of those books, which doesn't surprise me cause I love them too. Um, but now I'm re listening to them and she's hearing them for the first time. So, um, this is some of the best world building that I've ever seen in a fiction book or trilogy or whatever you want to call it. So, um, and kind of looking now we were going to listen to something else and she's like, no, I got to finish this trilogy cause she's loving it so much. So, so we're going to listen to hero of ages is the last one. I got to start some Sanderson. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with the books. I just, um, I think I took the first book on a camping trip and didn't get yeah. around to actually starting it on the trip. So, yeah, I even started the, the second trilogy. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but, it takes place in the same world, like two, 300 years later or something like that. And it was okay, but it didn't catch me like the first one did or first trilogy did. Sure. So I, I never finished that one. Uh, good. 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 Uh, should we talk about some games again? Yeah. <laughs> looks like we both have been busy. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go back to one. Well, actually we've talked about a lot of these before, but, uh, you're playing next war Vietnam, huh? I am. I, I played a uh, I played a DNBN food game today, and it took nice. me about half an hour. Or so, <laughs> right? <it's for> sure. <laughs> yeah, the first scenario next for Vietnam is a little two turn thing in DNBN food, and it's it's funny because it starts off as like the Chinese have airdropped on DNBN food. No one knows why. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I love next door, um, but I've never I've never gotten as much into it as I want to. Like I've right. never played against another person. I've, I've tried several times and stuff just always seems to fall apart for whatever reason. So I've only played myself. I've never played like a full campaign in any of them. I think the furthest I ever got was in uh, Korea. I played quite a bit of it. Um, but the rest of them, it seems like I usually, I enjoy it and I play a few turns and I'm like, okay, I want to go on to something else. I really want to play against someone, but yeah. I just got Vietnam out and um, really honestly seeing the Vietnam 65 to 75 game come up was like, Oh, I got to get next for Vietnam out and play that. So, yep. So I got that on my table right now. I'm right there with you on the whole next war thing. And I, I have played against people, but I, it, I feel like there's so much more like, Oh, I take that back. I did play against Mitch. um, Oh yeah. You guys had your, a couple of times we had our next war India, Pakistan and he nuked me. Yeah. Well, good. Speaking of uh, speaking of Mitch, he's running an ATS tournament, so I've got the ATS rulebook out. Technically, I'm not playing this yet. My first game is Saturday, um, but it is nice. Like I've forgotten a lot since last February, but like that rulebook is so much smaller, yeah, and really does do- capture a lot of the same thing. It, like, and I get it. You're not going to use a f- you know a quarter of the ASL rulebook every time you play, right? I mean, there's so much case specific case rules in the sure. ASL rule book. I get it. Um, but it is nice to, it's pretty approachable. 
Are you playing, like, is there a scenario list? Is it all yeah. World War II, or are they doing different eras, or what? Uh, you know what? I've actually looked at the first one. Um, I mean, I could look at, pull it up quick enough. Um, well, maybe. It's in a pinned message somewhere. Yeah, yeah, here we go. I can find out. Um, round Robin scenarios. So, grabbing some houses is Belgium, 1944, Fr- and then there's France, 44. Oh, there's Pavlov's house scenario in round three. Oh, France cool. 44 again, and then Pebbles in the Stream, which is Russia 44. So it looks like it's all okay. for the first round at least, which is uh, so five rounds for round robin, and that may be it actually. No, I mentioned it. It's just whoever has the best record. Uh, all set in World War II, which is fine by me. So I'm back, back to ATS, but I've also been like I'm gearing up for the ASL tournament, so it's going to be interesting to keep those straight because I'm not very experienced <laughs> in either of them. So is that, they usually do theirs right around St. Patty's Day. Are they doing that again? Yeah, it's the, um, it's the end of March usually for March Madness. Um, okay. And, and yeah, it's online over a couple weekends, but it's a single el- elimination. So I plan on being out on Thursday night. Uh, no, I think we've both been doing this one and we may have talked about it, but Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah, I don't think I've played since the last time we talked. Oh, okay. Um, because I haven't played online and I don't think I've gotten it off the shelf, but yeah, yeah, I was, I was playing it last month. Yeah. So I'm still playing and I still just don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Like, um, the app is great, but I don't like it for learning. Yeah. Um, because I think I need to tally like victory points and stuff. Like it's, Right. When it does it all for you, you kind of feel like you don't know what the effect of something is. Right. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't, and that trans for me, that ends up meaning that I don't really know what I'm doing to win. I mean, I, I kind of, I know I'm raising uh, my funding level or trying to raise my funding level or just take, you know, decrease the governance enough so I get the resources in this. But like strategy wise, fuck if I know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? So Yeah, that's how I feel either side I play on that one, so Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll stick with it and like I like the uh the asynchronous play because the turns are so quick. But I think what I really need is a face to face play of the board game where you're actually handling the chits so I understand a little bit more of what's happening. Less automation, I think, to pick that one up. Cool. What else yeah, have you been, been playing? I've been playing OCS Korea. Nice, um, which yeah. I think I talked about last time and we're on our, we're doing like a mid-size scenario right now. We're doing Operation Ripper, which is the UN forces trying to retake Seoul and some other city that I can't pronounce the name of. So, uh-huh. yeah, so we're having a good time. Um, we're just going back and forth via email and I'm trying desperately to cross this river and get into Seoul and that river is a real pain in the ass to cross, but we're having fun. Uh, it is it is fun playing the U.S. though because you get you get two carriers that have three aircraft air units on each one. So that's if you haven't played OCS, that's basically just like free artillery barrages. Like you literally don't have to be supply for them or anything. Just all six of those planes are just going to get to bomb the hell out of whatever they want every turn. Nice. And you get a lot of artillery because you are playing Americans and Americans love artillery, and you get these huge like. 15 radius uh headquarters units so 
when you play the U.S., you almost don't even have to worry about supply. I mean, you still can run out, but you don't have to do nearly as much moving supply around because a 15 radius headquarters unit can, and you get two of them, so you can like park those toward the two places you're trying to move up and, you know, everybody's going to be good for supply. So good. I need to yeah. get back to OCS Korea. I, I say it every time we talk about it. Like I am certain that'll be my favorite OCS game. I just need to, I need to play it. Yeah. I think I, after we play this one, I wouldn't be surprised if we just go ahead and go straight into the campaign. Cause I oh, think we're both enjoying it. That's 113 turns. Just so you know, I didn't say we'll finish the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. I gotta play it. I gotta play it. Uh, let's see. So another, uh, I'm cheating a little bit here because this is coming out on Saturday, but it does tie into what I have on the table, which is, so I'm going back to P Ridge, uh, because I'm finally playing Thunder and the Ozark. So I've got the Battle Hymn rules out, Mm -hmm. which is also, they're both chit draw. We've talked plenty about Battle Hymn. I don't need to go into it, but I'm playing a game of that on Saturday. And then, but I was like, I should really try the blind sword system. I've we've talked about it, uh, like Mets and everything, and so mm-hmm. I pulled out Thunder and those arcs, and I'm I'm clipping that and learning the rules to that, which aren't are not hard at all. Um, and I'll do a little comparison, I guess, of uh, those games. Yeah, I like Thunder and the Ozarks. I'm not crazy about the map; it just yeah. kind of looks weird to me. But some people really love it. I, I mean, I I. I don't think I've ever had a game that I wouldn't play because of the map, but that's definitely not a selling point for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's a Rick Barber map, right? Uh, I have so. no idea. I don't remember. It's just it's weird. It's got it's got like hatching instead of solid colors on it. It kind of it's distracting to me. Yeah, it's a Rick Barber map, and so okay. if anyone's familiar with that, it's uh, it's got a distinct style for sure. Yeah, and like the trees are like. Like, part of me likes it and part of me doesn't like it. Some people love, like, think Rick Barber maps are, like, the most fantastic maps out there. Like, the trees are little hand-drawn trees. Like, little bushes. Uh, And so, yeah, it is. It's unique for sure. Yeah, and it's a a much smaller scale than Battle Hymn. So, like, if you you spread out the Battle Battle Hymn P-Ridge map and then you you take the Thunder and the Ozarks, which is only P-Ridge... like the the P Ridge map would be maybe a half or a third of the Battle Hymn map, so oh, the it's like the center of it. It's basically just like the two towns. There's like the tavern and then the farm or whatever it's called over on the other side. So huh. whereas in Battle Hymn, which makes sense because Battle Hymn is closer to like like if you were to compare Thunder and the Ozarks would be more like GBACW and Battle Hymn would be more like GCACW just as far as scale. Um, so that makes sense because you would need more maneuvering for battle him. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I did play some more historical ASL red factories. We finished up the first scenario of camp game game one. So we're doing our refitting now, um, which is, uh, it, it's not that complicated. I mean, it was basically just, you know, like if we didn't have any melees going on at the time, but like all melees would, in between scenarios, you would just like keep going melee over and over again until one side wiped out the other one. And then you get, you know, like take all your acquisitions off the board and you get to, um, anyone that's broken recovers, basically draw new boundary lines. And then like all your wounded leaders, most of them are going to get taken out. So, um, mm. and then you get to, you get points to buy more units and you go again. So, um, we were, I think we're gonna, we're going to do our, 
refitting tomorrow night together. And then, uh, hopefully next, I think next Tuesday or maybe the Tuesday after I can't remember, we'll get back into scenario two. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's talking about maps. Um, red factories, I think is, Oh yeah. It's amazing. I mean, Budapest you got to know great, it though, but... too, because I mean, it's, and part of that is ASL, you know, there's lots of different terrain between all the different modules and everything, but there's a lot on the red factories map stuff that I wasn't used to. So there's like rubble and debris and, and then the stupid train tracks always get me confused because they basically act like a wall where you can't see past them. And, um, yeah, there's the whole upper left-hand side of the board. There's just not a lot of visibility between that part of the board and the center of the board. So, Hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm jealous that you're playing that. I mean, that's like a, uh, yeah. a pipe dream. Yeah. Goal at some point. Yeah, and then I've been I've been getting into BCS too. Um, nice. I started playing Brazen Chariots. Um, and I'm at the point now where I I pushed around counters and I played solo for a little while. I'm at the point now where I really want to play against someone that knows what they're doing, just because. Sure. Anytime I play a game like that, I just teach myself. I'm like, okay, well, what am I getting wrong? Right. So I kind of, I put that one away until I can play it with someone else. Are you getting Panzer's Last Stand? Oh yeah, definitely. Nice. Does it take place in Hungary? Then yes, I'm getting it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, me too as well. My pre-order is in. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of stuff and that's not even including the, uh, the stuff we're going to talk about today which uh we've got we've got two games to review this time i know it's a twofer it is a twofer uh and so we have a patreon and at one of the patron levels you can back us and we'll now there's there's exceptions to this but we will work with you you can submit your patrons pick for the every war game ever list so uh rich and i have a list it's pretty ambitious but we are ranking every war game ever made and from best to worst uh, how many games do we have to go, Rich? Um, I'd say we've got 31 games on there now, so we're probably a third of the way there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I right. think there's been 90 war games ever made. Probably. So, yeah, we got a list, and we can't change it, but we can change it, and um, we're merely the sculptors. It's completely unbiased. Yep. It's we, fair, We just reveal objective. what is there. That's right. Uh, so yeah, we have our first patrons pick, which I'm pretty excited about. And this is going back to like one of the first war games I played probably after Memoir 44, excluding things like Risk. Um, but we're talking about Few Acres of Snow, which is a 2011 design by Martin Wallace. Uh, and that's covering the French Indian War, which isn't one of my favorite topics in history but there seems to be a whole bunch of french indian war games out there like more than i would have ever guessed and it's weird because with wilderness war now i played wilderness war a few years after we played few acres of snow for the first time it's like i had an abundance of french indian war stuff to like get me introduced to the war game hobby do do you like french indian war stuff rich i don't know that much about it um i mean i it's, it was interesting because I was actually, what was I looking at? Oh, it was when I was looking at the uh, Battles of the Age of Reason stuff. 
a uh-huh. couple months ago, and I was looking for a good book about the, the Seven Years' War. I just, I don't know much about it. And it seems like most of the books that I found were actually about the French and Indian War, which is sort of like the, the North American side of the Seven Years' War, when I was really interested in the European stuff, because right. that's that's the game I was playing. But I don't know that much about either of them. Really, all I really know about it is that George Washington was a British, probably not a general, but a, a British officer at the time. So that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. Yeah, and I remember covering it in, gr- in grade school, or like middle school, or something like that but it's like i don't know i just think there's a weird uh over and maybe not i mean maybe people are into this but like for me i just feel like there's a strong representation of uh the french indian war in the war game hobby and maybe it's just the quality of the game is because uh so talking about the game a few acres of snow is a card driven war game but it's also a deck builder and so if by chance you are a you know a war gamer only and you've never played a deck builder a deck builder is basically you start off with a very basic deck and some kind of mechanics to bring new cards into your hand you play through that deck and then you reshuffle in those new cards as you play and your deck gets better and you trim down cards and um build and get better cards and you can do more things um and so that's what's going on here it's a card driven game using symbols less so than events and action points you basically take two actions per turn um and you're starting out with this basic deck with some basic locations and and you kind of build your deck two ways here you can pick up cards and add them to your discard pile or you can settle locations on the frontier and when you settle let's say like when you settle quebec or you probably start with quebec in the french hand you get the quebec card and the quebec card probably gives you some kind of boats and probably some fur and maybe some people and all of those things you know you can sell fur you can use boats to travel to different locations and people help you settle um different locations as well yeah and i would Uh, say that the settling is a much bigger part of the game than any sort of conflict yeah because it's so so here's what i will say just as a broad it's card driven deck builder that i don't really think excels at either being a it's certainly not either a card driven war game or a deck builder like i don't think there's enough going on and i to me the game never really feels fulfilling yeah um, it's a not re- a bad yeah a, a really good deck builder you feel like you have a lot of control over your hand and you feel like if you play it right, right then you are going to have control over what comes up when. Yes. And I never yeah. felt that way in this game. I felt like right. every hand was random and I didn't know what was going to come up when. Right. Yeah. You're looking for those combos typically in deck builders and yeah. you're not really comboing here and everything it's, it's just so slow going to do what you want to do. Like, if you want to build up a strong military force, you can put some cards in reserve and kind of pull them in whenever you want. But it's like, all right, I got to buy militia and then I got to go through my deck and there are cards and you should be purging in this game like the weaker cards. But it's kind of like, all right, I'm building up, I'm building up. We have a siege, we have a siege. Oh, dang, it's already over because, you know, someone ran out of and then yeah. someone wins because they settled a new location. The and second even- time we... Go ahead. Even the locations that you launch the sieges from, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, I took this space, so now I'm within range of attacking you, but I'm going to have to go through my entire deck before that space comes up and I can launch the attack from there. Right. Or and that can be it's, annoying. 
it's like, all right, then I should purchase these cards so I get through it faster. But it's like, well, I need money. Yeah. And these cards have furs on them. And it's like, well, do I really want to get rid of them? But I need money to, like, pull stuff out of reserve. I, it, it never feels, like, smooth. Like, I think it's a it's an interesting concept, but it never feels like I'm really doing what I want to do. It's like, all right, draw some cards. And, you know, maybe I only played two cards this hand, so I'm only drawing two cards into my hand because you you can't just discard the stuff you don't want. Um, that's an action. And you only get two actions. Right. And so it's just like very fragmented. Like, oh, draw again. Oh, yeah, I got the shitty fort whatever, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you hit it on the head when you said it, it doesn't do either of them very well. Because I, I had been interested in this game since I first heard about it a few years ago because my daughter is really into deck builders. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe this can, you know, this is somewhere where we can meet in the middle. And I like deck builders, but I'm not crazy about them. Um, but it was like, if we can find a deck builder war game, maybe we'll both enjoy it. But I think it's just going to come short for both of us. Yeah. Cause it's cause, cause she'll look at it and say, well, we've got better deck builders and I'll look at it and say, we've got better war games. Absolutely. I want to play hands in the sea, which is kind of the spiritual successor. It's not designed by Martin Wallace, but it's a spiritual successor. To I don't know anything game. about that one. What is that? Yeah. Uh, hands in the sea covers the Punic. Or is that right? Something wrong. Okay. Um, well, let's not pretend that we don't have the... Yeah, First Punic yeah, War. Yeah, First Punic War, yeah. that's what it is. Um, okay. And so it's it's a successor to this, and I'm wondering, does it do a better job? Does it... If I could cycle cards faster, and really you, you only have one card that lets you, like, burn cards. Yeah. Like, if I could do that without an action to, like, where right. I feel like I'm in control, you know? Like, and yeah. I get it, like, yeah, that, that represents frustration, like... You don't always have the siege artillery you need when you want to conduct a siege, but also it's like, well, shit, I ha- I shouldn't have to like shuffle through seventeen cards, drawing two cards at a time just to get to what I want to do, you know? Yeah. When I play deck builders, I'm big on scrapping or milling, sure. depending on what game you call it. But um, yeah, and, and you couldn't do a whole lot of that in this game. No, and then like you in a do card have room. a nice reserve, which that was kind of nice because if you knew you were going to launch an attack, you yes. could basically just load it up and then just one turn unleash everything on it. But you need the money. You need right. the money to buy That's cards, true. and yeah. then to pull out of your reserve, you need money. So then you kind of yep. keep the crap cards in because you sell them to the fur trader, and it's like, so it they're kind of like purging your deck doesn't really feel like the right thing to do here but maybe it is and here's the deal like something like um well labyrinth right or um uh paths of glory any of those card driven games like you at least have options things you can always do just by that points are generic right right And so the actions are always open to you so even if you don't have a good hand draw you still have interesting decisions too often in this game, and Rich and I played twice, um, and I had played this years ago uh, with my brother. I, I still have his copy. Um, it, you, there's way too many turns where you don't have interesting decisions. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you'll just basically discard two cards and, okay, well, that was my turn. <laughs> yeah. Or and maybe then, you'll sell one and get a couple coins and discard one or whatever. Now, I did not win against you, but I I think I've won in the past. But either way, it doesn't feel satisfying. Like, especially in our second game, we had one battle at the very end of it, and we were both just yep. settling. 
Right. And if I think I had the lead before the battle, but regardless of who, I don't really care. But it's like, if I would have won, I would have been like, well, whoop de doo All I did was just like wait until the right card came up and put little cubes down, you know? And that's basically what I did with the battle. I had a bunch of troops in reserve <laughs> and I settled until I got close enough to you and got the right card in my hand to launch the attack. And then two turns later, the game was over just because I had a ton of military in reserve. Yeah. So... I don't think we need to go on with this game very much. I, And here's the other thing, which we haven't talked on. This game is also broken. Um, it's something I know about, but I'm okay, not going to look that's up. interesting that you mentioned that, because I had heard that, right. but I didn't know what the break was. And then right. I, I was going to check on it later, and I forgot. Do you know what the break is? It, well, I just know what it's called. It's called the Halifax Hammer. But okay. I don't know what the strategy And so, like, people are always like, when, when Few Acres of Snow is popular, and... In when I was getting into board games, it was massively popular. People would be like, "Oh, that game's broken." The Halifax Hammer, and like a lot of people, I don't actually think they knew the strategy. They would just point <laughs> that out because I'm sure it. But I've heard it from in, enough people. Yeah, and I think even even the whether it's Martin Wallace or the publisher, whoever, I think even at one point did come out and say, "Just don't do that." Right. Exactly. <laughs> and but. I honestly don't think that many people know what it is or how to do it because there's two Halifaxes on there's Fort Halifax and Halifax. Right. That's true. And I don't yeah. even really know which one you use to do it. So yeah, <laughs> it's technically it's unbalanced, but I couldn't tell you how, just don't look it up, <laughs> but it's not like we're um, recommending this game. So you said you found some seven, seven years war books. Do you have any uh, French Indian war books that you'd recommend? I don't. Uh, I don't. I didn't end up yeah. picking any of them up because, like I said, I was looking for something specifically European. So, no, I don't think I've read anything on this. All right. Well, uh, not the strongest review from both of us. I think it's an interesting concept. I also I like I want this game to be good. I like that the French player starts with a different deck and like their settlements are way different and uh, you know like the french should be maybe trading furs a whole lot more often than the brit than the brits but it just never comes to a level where i'm really enjoying it so yeah should we rank it yeah let's do okay does anything jump out at you i've got a i've got a couple spots in mind <sighs> well it's going to be toward the bottom yeah, yeah. um like I'm just gonna go out. And say I would. It's I would rather play. I would rather play Time of Crisis than this one. And that's where we. Should I look, think right? it's probably better than Ottoman Sunset. So Time of Crisis is the GMT deck builder game set in the Roman Empire. Um, from a strictly deck building mechanic wise, Time of Crisis is a better game. Yeah. For, thematically. I hate in time of crisis that I may start out on the southeast edge of the map, and then all of a sudden I have to care like what's going on in England. Like, yeah, I I get it, I get it. That's like what Rome was like, but that's why I like Genesis so much. I'm the Babylonians. I care about me and my immediate borders because honestly, I probably wouldn't give two flying shits about what's going on in England, you know. Yeah. And that game, you you like teleport around the map like it's nothing, and all of a sudden you care about the other side of the well, the Roman world, not the world. Um. So, like, thematically, Time of Crisis drives me nuts. Mechanically, it is far better than um, this, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, the gameplay is more rewarding, I think. But they're very similar games because I don't like the victory in Time of Crisis either. Yeah. I would put it above Ottoman Sunset, though. So, I mean, I would slot it in right there. Okay. Well, Just because States of Siege, I mean, they're fine. They're 
a little time killer, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like roll right. the dice, roll the dice until you lose. I'll, I'll go with that because I think maybe if you were interested in getting really good and oh, see now I'm assuming a lot and assuming the game was balanced and you didn't know the broken strategy that there's probably something to peel away in a few acres of snow. Um, but it's just not satisfying enough for me to want to do that. So few acres of snow is going to be the new number 29, just below time of crisis and above Ottoman sunset. You good with that? I'm good with that. All right, Rich, why don't you tell us about our second game, which I think is something we're going to be, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we both liked it a lot more. Yeah. So it's interesting because I, I had just 10 seconds ago said states of siege weren't that interesting that they were <laughs> just kind of a time filler. So now we're going to play a game that, has a little bit of a States of Siege look to it, but it expands on it so much more and makes it so much better. Um, yes. Game called Pavlov's House, which is a David Thompson game, came out a couple years ago, 2018, I guess. I actually kickstarted this one. I heard about this one before it came out, and I was fascinated by the idea. At the time, I was playing a lot of solitaire games, and this one looked interesting to me, and I, I got it on day one, and I've I've liked it ever since then, so... Um, Pavlov's house, as you might guess, takes place during the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, it's interesting because it takes place over, they say three, but really it feels more like two different areas. So you've got like the guys yeah. that are literally in Pavlov's house. So you've got defenders in there. You've got, you know, Russian guys holding guns and anti-tank rifles and all that. And then you've got this sort of outside forces that are defending the rest of the city and also trying to get supplies into Pavlov's house. Um, you, the Germans have a deck that they will just go through se sequentially. The Russians have a deck that they will go through and shuffle and go through and over and over again until the game is over. Um, basically, you lose the game if the Russians take Pavlov, if the Germans take Pavlov's house, you win the game to some degree or another if you yeah. make it all the way through the German deck. Right. And you can lose by like running out supplies or sure. letting, letting the Volga get so bombed that you're screwed. Yeah, uh, that doesn't happen very often. But yes, you absolutely could. Yeah. If, when the Stu when the Stukas come in, they can if they get a few good rolls in a row, they can light up your headquarters a couple times in the game that way, or they can just block everything from getting through. Yeah. Both of those could happen in yeah. my, I think almost every time that I've lost the game is because the Germans got into Pavlov's house. I think, I think you, that's a valid point because after my first game, I cared a whole heck of a lot more about anti-air defense and trying yeah. to soak up some, but like the first time I like, I had some, I drew my card. So basically you, you do kind of the operational Russian deck first and you have choices. Each card has two options um, and you can pick what to do. So maybe you're uh, putting artillery into place or maybe you're putting anti-air into place. So like my first game, it's like, oh yeah, let's get some artillery. I want to bomb the crap out of these guys. Artillery uh, no, is that, great mid-game. If yeah, you try to do it at the beginning of the game, it won't work. But mid-game, no. it's really nice. <laughs> Be because the deck, the German deck, which is the next phase, then the Germans get to respond. And you're either placing troops or bombing or some other bad stuff can yeah. happen. But uh, early on, there's a ton of bombings on the Volga River, and that's going to knock out. So, like, that artillery you just placed, if you don't have anti-air, well, guess what? Your artillery's getting you roll a die and chances are you're going to get hit um 
and then you then you finally go into the very tactical individual one man is or woman is on a counter inside of Pavlov's house and so it's kind of cool that there's three levels but I do agree it is it is really two levels um but uh so yeah I think you can in your first couple games I think the risk of losing by uh, your headquarters getting bombed too much is probably a little higher because I didn't understand the importance of anti-air the first time I played. I was like, oh, this is not going well. Yeah. Yeah, usually, and I'm definitely not good at this game. I lose it more than I win it. I've only yeah. won, I think, twice, and both were pretty, by pretty slim margins. But um, usually getting supplies onto and across the river or my first priority and getting anti-aircraft up is my second priority. Then in the middle of the game, that's when I start putting artillery on the board just because you can't, they can't do anything anyway until you get a forward observer into Pavlov's house. And those guys are expensive. So, yeah. So, um, just, just real quick. So what, what Rich is describing is on the right side of the map, you've got the east side of the Volga and that's where you're like, that's the artillery and all that stuff. And they're, all the options are tempting because it's like either oh, yeah. reinforcements or established communications, which means, oh, now you get to play your whole hand of cards, which is really tempting. But, oh, you better get anti-air. Oh, and like Rich said, you got to ship supplies across the river. Well, first you got to load them up, and then you got to send them across the river. And then, oh, shit, you know what? That boat just got knocked out. You better refresh it. Um, and so... The biggest complaint I have about solitaire games is sometimes there's not interesting decisions to be made. I think both Russian... The Germans is automated. There's no real interesting decision to be made. Do You roll a dice, and that's where the Germans are going to do their thing. Um, but both inside the house, the decisions you're making, because you have a limited amount of actions you can take inside the apartment, and then across the river, I find them both very interesting because all of the options usually are very appealing. Yeah. Especially once the building defenses start getting low, yeah. then it gets really interesting because, you know, okay, I got to get some sappers into the house and sappers, they can either rebuild the defenses or they can go out there and lay mines as sort of a last line defense against the encroaching Germans. Um, while at the same time, your guys are getting, I mean, the building itself is getting hit by artillery and tanks and, you know, you're getting your guys suppressed and it's it's a very bloody game for your defenders. Yeah. I mean, you're going to lose a lot of guys even if you win. Right. And then like, yeah, you can bring in some cool stuff to the house, but it's going to exhaust usually two of your guys like bringing that heavy machine. Yeah, the, gun. yeah, the big guns cost two guys instead of one. Right. Yeah. Um and I what So what I wanted to just go back to real quick before we get too far away from it is you mentioned states of siege and the German approach is very much like that. Usually in a state states of siege game, there are different tracks to some, whether it's depending on the scale, maybe it's just a fortress or maybe it's a whole city and it's the Germans are advancing world war one or, or whatever it is. There's basically different tracks. And if the bad guy counter gets on the last point of the track, you lose the game. That's very much an element here, but a lot of times in states of siege, it's just like, okay, I'm going to roll on the yellow track and just see if I push these guys back. Yeah. What I think he does better here is, yeah, if you want to go roll on the yellow track, you're making tactical decisions inside the house to, oh shit, I've got to get a guy in line of sight with the yellow track. Which, you know what, if I'm doing that and using that guy to do that, well, now, shit, I was going to use radio to bring two more reinforcements into the building, you know? So, um, 
it gets to that there yeah. are interesting decisions to be made. You're not just rolling a die on a track. Yeah, like you said, on states of siege, it's usually just one die roll determines whether they go forward or back. Right. And that's literally right. it. Um, whereas in Pavlov's house, I can think of at least four different ways that you can stop guys. So yep. you can call an artillery on them if you have a forward observer. You can shoot them with your either mortars, machine guns, uh, anti-tank guns, or just with regular guys. Um, obviously, the, the heavier weapons, you have a higher chance of success. You have sappers, and then you also have the building defenses itself. Well, and then you can suppress when they first come on. Oh, yeah, which... suppression. I forgot about that, too. Yeah, because if you get mortars, you can put a bunch of suppression tokens out that yep. basically almost make it impossible for them to come onto the board in the first place. Right, but... and you But can you could roll six ones well. also, so... Right. <laughs> and if you ship more ammo over, which means you may be sending less sappers or yep. less food, ammo yeah. converts to suppression counters and first and aid you move kits, suppression which... counters in the house. You spin those. Ca- so like when a new German unit comes on, you can spin suppression counters to roll more dice. Cause it's not really efficient to just spin one and roll one dice. Cause chances are you're not going to get. So like you're weighing this. Do I bring on amp? Do I bring on food? Do I bring on the sappers? Yeah. And you talked about food. Um, basically, the German deck is divided into five or five different five. sections. And in between sections like one and two, two and three, three and four, the last section is only like three cards. Um, but in between each of those sections, you have a resupply card that comes up. And when that card comes up, you have to spend food that is already in Pavlov's house to feed your defenders. And it's like one food for five defenders. And if you don't have that much food, you got to get them out. They just, you lose those guys. Mm -hmm. So first you have to take your food and your overall command has to put it into the supplies. Then you have to put it on the Volga River. Then it has to go from the Volga River into Pavlov's house. So all of that has to happen and it has to happen one food for every five guys. So yeah. at the end of the game, if you're playing well, you probably got at least 10 and maybe 15 guys in there. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a lot to keep them all supplied. And then there's been times that I had a sniper take a guy out and I'm like, oh, I'm glad he's dead because yeah. the supply card's coming up anyway. <laughs> one One less mouth to feed. The audacity of David Thompson to then tell you, oh, if you really want to do good at this game, well, how about you send those guys out on the offensive? Yeah, because every time a supply card comes up, the reverse of that card is, like you said, it's an offensive, um, to which you have to spend more guys and you get bonus points for doing that. And I think I've done one of those successfully. Right. And then at yeah. the end of the game, you have to do one, though. Right, right. Uh, it's good. I I really enjoy this. I mean, we've talked about solo games so much before in the past, but I like all the decisions and I'm not good at this game. But like, if you feel like it's getting too easy, well, guess what? Now there's option. There's optional. I mean, not now they're included in the base game. Like there's yeah. advanced rules to add more flavor to the game. But and I've never it, even used the tactic. Cards. No, I'm not I good enough for that. <laughs> no, like, yeah, I've I have not won yet. Um, So. Uh, and I'll gladly admit it. And but I don't feel uh, cheated by luck. Like I know what's coming, and I think as you learn the cards, you'll get better. And like I said, like right off the bat, I was like, "Oh yeah, the Volga is getting bombed like crazy. I should probably not start throwing a bunch of artillery pieces up because you're right. You need forward observers, all that stuff. So learning the game will probably make it a little bit easier for sure. But uh, I never felt cheated by just random, you know, luck. Yeah. 
Have you uh, be, have you played um, post soldiers in postman's uniforms or Castle Eider? No, uh, okay. because it took me so long to play Pavlov's House that I was like, okay. I'm going to wait to get those games to make sure I like this style. Yeah, so those are the next two games in the series. And I think, I don't think it originally started off as a series game, but I think he actually has a name for the series itself now. And I can't remember huh. what it is, but. Well, I mean, to be honest, he, he has filled a void here, right? I mean, with with the States of Siege stuff and uh, was it, it was Victory Point, right? It was Victory Point games yeah. being bought up and then kind of being um, killed off. Um, I think this presents a very fun States of Siege-esque game, but it's also very unique um, because you're dealing with the battle at, at different levels with different series of decisions, different types of decisions to be made. Yeah. And I, f- I think you feel like do I ever feel like Pavlov? No, but I feel like I'm in the sense like I'm the commander inside the house. But then on the other side, it's like, well, also, I kind of feel like Zukov because like I'm over here like get some yeah. shit across the river, guys. Let's go. <laughs> and there are multiplayer rules where one yeah. player can play the house and the other player. It can go up to three. I've I've never done it that way, but yeah. I think I'd like to try it at, at least with two sometime just to see. Let's see what that tension is where, okay, I just drew four cards and the guy in the house is saying, okay, send me some ammunition. And the other guy goes, no, I need to get my anti-air defenses up. <laughs> right, right. I would do that. And I would play the three-player game. So it's, it's, it can be solo, co-op, or competitive, actually. Yeah. The That'd be a good be evening con game. Because you can pick oh, yeah. it up instantly and you can play it with as many drinks as you like. And yeah. That'd yeah. be a fun one to play. Very, evening. very light game. Yep. Um, but I, I, this transitions nicely into the negatives um, because this game is not not perfect. But I think its biggest errors errors are very easily overcome. First off, the rule book is not great. It's I, not, but the player aids are good. Yes. Like I, I find that the, I don't use the rule book at all unless because it's got three player aid cards because basically there's three sections. There's the Russian deck, the German deck and the counters. And there's a different player aid card for each one. And then you can just look and see, OK, I've go to page 19 to figure out what that does. So I think the player's aids make up for it. Huge plus and a saving grace. But a lot of the rules are just like a giant wall of text of all the yeah. things you can do. But I think you just start playing and then like when you draw the um the artillery card well then yeah just look it up or look at the player but my biggest pet peeve and it's a little thing and i'm sure it'll get better you have a picture of all the components and they're numbered and lettered on one page then you have to turn the page for the setup instructions and a description of all those items yeah and that is one of the worst layout decisions i've ever seen i mean like this is really nitpicky stuff this is a great game but like right. going through it, I was like, this is ridiculous that I'm flipping pages and can't remember what's what, because there's a lot of different symbols at first glance. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if you've never played before, the first time you set up, you will have to be very careful about it. Yeah. And, um, that kind of like talking about setup, um, there are a, five counter sheets, four counter sheets, a bucket of wooden cubes and, uh, three decks of cards, right? You use two in the standard game, and then there's the, um, the other uh, yeah, deck of cards. And the wooden cubes, I've never used for anything because the counters replace them. So the wooden cubes, right. I just use for all my other war games. Yeah, uh, there's one baggie in the whole box. 
Yeah, and, that's true. Yes, you do have to sort everything yourself. Well, yeah, but like, no, no, I'm not mad about the sorting, but then like, it's it's kind of getting on my nerves a little bit, and it's not really, it's not that big a thing. You uh, work past it, it's fine. It's not that big a deal. I'm being nitpicky here, but like with Holland Spiel, and now this, it's like several games in a row. It's like cool. Now I have a hundred counters and a box. Like I'm not just gonna throw them in there. So now I'm scavenging games or putting mm-hmm. trays in here, and it's like. It's 2021. Like, throw some fucking baggies in your box. <laughs> it's a little thing, but I'm being nitpicky because I don't want to, like, just... The rules are a bigger problem than the storage. I'll be fair, but... Yeah. Yeah, the rules aren't great Um, as far as learning to play the game. It definitely takes you the first few times, not just the first time, but the first few times you're going to have to play with the board in front of you, the player's aids cards in front of you, and the rule book on and your And just lap. reference the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Even the, the mechanic rules are all great. I just think it's like it's very the, – the biggest thing with the rules for me is is the setup being on two different pages and not like two different pages front and back. Um, but I think once you realize you can just reference the cards and just start playing and turn to the rules as you need them, you'll be in pretty good shape. Also, it needs like bolded words and an index because my first time through, I was like, "What the hell do ammo counters do again?" Yeah, like, that's why right. do there I even no care index. about bringing those? And so, that. like, like I had uh, it wasn't until like I was starting. Yeah, to- the ammo counters are kind of weird too because it's one counter on the river that turns into five different right. counters in the house, right. <laughs> and so. that's not bolded anywhere. And so, yeah. like you, it's all it's like buried in the the card that ties to the Volga River. So, like, yeah. when they came up, I was like. What am I supposed to do with these again? Yeah. But the rules about how your guys in the house get killed are, can be confusing as well. Yeah. Yep. Because there's different states that they can be and they can be like fresh, they can be suppressed, they can be exhausted. And then, you know, a sniper can just take them out completely, but then you have first aid packs. And so, yeah, that, that can be very confusing, especially once you get into like when you draw that card where, where all of the German infantry does suppression and then all of the armor attacks, you that can be confusing to figure out. <laughs> right. That being said, we both figured it out. I think this is a very uh, approachable game. I think if you are okay with kind of like learning as you play, um, that I think a lot of people could pick this up. I think it's a great solo experience for anyone that's enjoying the hobby. If you're getting into it. Yeah, sure. This would probably be a great series to check out. So those things are all overcomable. They're not irredeemable qualities about, uh, or they're redeemable, right? I'm saying that right. Sure. Why not? Uh, so I think overall, it's still a great game. Did, did you have any other negatives or? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't know that And it's interesting because there's a separate book that comes with the game that is just about Stalingrad. So for historically, it's interesting. Um, As far as the theme itself, though, I mean, I don't I don't know that it's it's a super strong Stalingrad theme Um, just in that. I don't know that it teaches you that much about Stalingrad only because here's the reason I say that in the Battle of Stalingrad, if Pavlov's house had fallen, Stalingrad would not have fallen. You know, Stalingrad was a lot more about well, it was about a lot more than just Pavlov's house. So in this game, Pavlov's house is the whole game. So I get that, but I'm not sure it teaches you that much about Stalingrad. So the theme is not super strong. So, uh, well, one thing real quick: the book I think is limited to the Kickstarter. 
Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Also, I don't think you have to throw in the Kickstarter counters for every copy of the game. Kickstarter (laughs) counters are real people. Did those come with the new copies too? Yeah, they did. And I didn't get the book. I'd rather have the book than the Kickstarter counters. I did a video. I've got to get the video out, but it's like, and here's what you do with the Kickstarter counters. And then I throw them in the trash because like, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm never going to use those ever. Um, (laughs) I threw, well, I I brought a bunch of them to the con and I kept one for myself and I threw the rest away. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do level. You know, if if you backed it, I'm sure that's awesome. But like, I just don't need 50 random people in there yeah. in a box that's already pretty tight <laughs> and doesn't come with storage. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna. I think it does the theme pretty good. Not, you- not well. Not the fighting of Stalingrad. Um. Now, so historically, Pavlov's house uh, was an apartment building that basically just held out with reinforcements and resupply for 60 days. Frustrating. The yeah. German attempted siege of Stalingrad just that much further, and he was um, one of the last lines of defense on the river. I think, if I remember properly, it could be. I like I he was really close to the river. Like if they had taken okay. Pavlov's house, it would have been it would have been worse. But sure, um, what I do think it does a, a pretty good job thematically of showing is like um, at least like moving supplies. I mean, you're not there's no mechanic for so like you're not moving supplies across the river like one hex at a time or anything like that there's no hexes but i think it's like a big picture it does a decent job it's not my favorite song right game but um yeah i, I, I agree it, I think and i mean i guess part of it too is no you're not trying to leave Stalingrad, but you are just trying to hold out you're right. trying to hold out until you know operation Uranus or whatever Saturn whatever it was called came around and cut him off um and in that sense you have a German deck you know how many cards you have to go through and if you make it through that many you'll survive which I mean holding out is as good a capture of the theme as Stalingrad yeah (laughs) there are some amazing stories that come out of Stalingrad and Pavlov's house is really just one of them but even just on the the civilian level of of hearing um civilians surviving in in the the bunkers for just you know, six months. Um, it's, it's really quite impressive. So, um, we've talked about recommended reading for Stalingrad before. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get the one that we've already talked about this episode out of the way. Uh, yeah. Stalingrad, the fateful siege, Anthony Beaver. If you like Beaver's writing, I think this is just another good example of that. Um, the other one we've talked about before is, um, enemy at the gates, which is flawed, but I, also, I think it does capture and does spend quite a bit of detail on Pavlov's house over the whole siege. So I think if you understand that or if the flaws don't bother you, I still recommend Enemy at the Gates. Like, just it's problematic. Do you have any Stalingrad books? Um, I, I think, yeah, Enemy at the Gates, I think, is the only one that I've read that was specifically about Stalingrad. So. I don't really have anything to compare it to. I I definitely need to read that Beaver one though. So, um, Zach in our Discord recommended "To the Gates of Stalingrad," which is actually a trilogy on Stalingrad. Um, and he he's not a Beaver fan. Um, with less, and he said it's just it's less narrative, more more factual, I guess. Um, and that's yeah. by David Glantz, but I haven't read that. But he recommended that, so okay. Uh, anything else on um you could listen to dan carlin too hardcore history there you go 
or or you can check out you can check our video out on our youtube channel this day in history the siege of stalingrad um which gives a very 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 brief unprofessional um description on the stalingrad campaign and talks about this game and um the whole camp um songrad from mark Simonich. um but there's some other there's some other songrads i want to um siege of songrad is that what's called turning uh, point songrad that's what i was thinking of okay. and then i know art is playing i think he's playing the siege of stalingrad which also looks pretty good so anyways there's other stalingrad games out there yeah, right, anything else you want to say about this game? No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I enjoy it, it and it's it's one of those games that I'll I'll get out maybe once a year and play through it. Sure. Yeah, it's not too like if if you get some organization in there, some baggies, some trays, some rubber bands on your deck. It's pretty quick to set up. You just got to set the decks up, grab your four starting counters and your little f- food to start out with and you yep. just shuffle up and go. Yeah, I can take it off my shelf play it and have it back on the shelf in an afternoon easily so the map is a little excessively big in my opinion if we're getting real nitpicky but i don't mind maybe but it does have room for the cards to be on the map too that's true that's part of it true 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 true. uh so let's rank it yeah yeah what do you think uh so the only the next or the highest designed for solo play game on our list is ottoman sunset and this is this is better than Autumn and Sunset. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm thinking, like, in the high teens, so probably around, like, the 1754 Brave Little Belgium realm. Uh, actually, <laughs> it sounds like we're on the same page, because I was going to say I think it, it fits right in there with Brave Little Belgium, I think. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I could see it going either side of Brave Little Belgium, and I'd be happy, so. But yeah, twenty two is is where I was looking. Yeah, I said high teens, but I guess we're yeah. Already. And and twenty two may seem low on a thirty two point list, but um, we're top better, heavy. Higher than we're Twilight Struggle. What's that? It's higher than Twilight Struggle. Yeah, right. In Angola and oh, bloody April. Talking about World War One aircraft. Uh, yeah. So Brave Little Belgium. So above Brave Little Belgium is seventeen fifty four. Which I would probably rather play 1754, to be completely honest. All right. So what about Brave Little Belgium? BLB or Pavlov? I think, I think I'd think i give the edge to Brave Little Belgium. Well, I don't know. They're so close. I, those two, I think I think either way, that's going to be... It is weird how, um, like, that's two new designers. I mean, well, David Thompson's been... He started with, like, War Chest, and then he has um, the deck builder. Um and then this series. Um, so Wait, I think he's is been... Warchest. I thought that was newer than this. Yeah, I thought Warchest just came out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it War is Chest, older. 2018. So they were the same year. Oh, okay, same year. All right. Um, which is a so, very well, abstract. It's interesting, it's interesting how the, we got these two new developers, right? Newish developers. It's been a few years. Um, but it is weird how we both look there because I think they are a good comparison, um, for this list. Yeah. It's just, do you prefer solo or do you prefer opposed? I prefer opposed, but solo is what I 
get more. Um, yeah, right, right, right. I don't know. So I think if if you don't compare them that way, if, if that's not the question you ask, you say, is Brave Little Belgium a better two-player game than Pavlov's House is a one-player game? I think the answer is no. I think Pavlov's House is a better solitary, mm. is better at what it's trying to do than Brave Little Belgium is. Mm. That's probably fair. But I don't think Brave Little Belgium is bad at what it's doing. No, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I don't think you are either. I'm just uh, clarifying. Um, that's probably fair. Plus, I wonder, like, why do you go defiant when we rank that? Probably makes this more interesting. Yeah. Just because I'm not a big World War One guy, anyways. Yeah, I'm gonna go above if you're yeah. with that. I think Brave Little Belgium is maybe speaking out of turn, but I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek too, just because it's a country that got overrun in a couple of weeks. And I think with the whole lucky Luxembourg, I think that's just kind of making a joke of the same thing, you know? Yeah. You so I haven't played white Eagle to find, I definitely need to play that one, but nothing wrong with playing for little Belgium at all. But I think, I think I would give the edge to Pavlov's house. And I'm okay with that. And I think that's uh, respectable spots for both of them. Both are great games. I'm I'm really pleased with how much I enjoyed this. I was nervous because I bought it and like kept talking about playing it for so long, but I kept having bad solo experiences. And I, I do want to clarify that I don't think Ottoman Sunset's a bad game either, which is quite a few spots down. It's just it kind of wears sooner, and I don't see this wearing out as soon as quickly as Ottoman Sunset did. Yeah. Yeah, Ottoman uh, Sunset. I think I played it five or six times. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm done with this one and I sold yeah. it. So Yeah, although I, I wouldn't like now I'd play it again. It's been a while. So yeah. I'd, I mean I'd I could see in. myself playing that. Uh, honestly I couldn't. I, I mean it, if <laughs> if I was if I was if I was going to Starbucks and I wanted something quick and sort of mindless to throw it on, on the table, I would, but even then I wouldn't play that. I, I'd do something else. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's. I kind of feel that way about. Um, there was a States of Siege S game from Victory Point Games called The Chosen Few. About Chosen Reservoir. And it, yeah, and it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't great, and it was really just to throw it down on the table and draw some cubes, and they represent this and that, and you're really just rolling. And I played it, and it was fine. And then I got rid of it. And then like every now and again, it'd be like. Yeah, I wouldn't mind throwing that out there, but also like I do mind because I'm not going to rebuy it. You know, yeah. anyways. Well, very good. That's uh we're up to 32 games, folks. Uh if you have a patron pick or just if you have a suggestion, uh please send us an email, but if you want to uh if you really want to see us get a game ranked, uh go ahead and kick in and support our patron. There's a level to do that. And it unlocks your RPG backstory. So we have the RPG uh, backstory of Gregor. The it's it's Gregor, <laughs> like purring like a cat. He's a Tabaxi, uh, Tabaxi fighter, who as a young child earned money. I don't think as I know a what male. a Tabaxi is. I'm gonna have to look. They're that the up. cats. They're the oh, like okay. the cats from okay. Skyrim in D and D now. All right. Um. So Gregor uh, <laughs> started out. He uh, he was he fitted people's measurements for their uh, suits of male armor as a kid um but after being abducted accidentally by pirates to be their uh ship cat 
to catch <laughs> mice, uh, which did not end well for the pirates. He's turned to a life of tomb robbing, but it's kind of a little bit like um, Indiana Jones, um, especially because he wears it like kind of like the bucket hat that Sean Connery wears in there. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's a tomb robber, but we um, need an artist. Yeah, I, I gosh, I want an, I want a dedicated to my game RPG artist so bad. Uh, so he's a bucket wearing tabaxi that's a fighter, um, and he robs tombs, but you can't tell people that. So he's also a general historian and participates in the traveling theater. Uh, he's got a couple quirks about him. He's never learned to laugh. Uh, so although he goes, d- enjoys a good joke, you'll never know because he never laughs. Uh, he will wear the same pair of pants for the entire campaign, no matter how long it takes. And anytime he starts talking about any kind of magic or sorcery, he gets way too excited and talks way too fast and becomes impossible to understand. And that is Gregor, the tabaxi fighter. Nice. Do you know anything about Gregor? Or are you good with that? I, I know what you've told me. Is there another Gregor that I'm missing a reference for? No, no, okay. not at all. No, I just didn't. I got him. No, no, I, I him picture him in, your, in uh... my head. I'm picturing Skyrim yeah. cat with the bucket hat. Tomb yeah, robber yeah. that fits right in with Skyrim too. That's right. Maybe, maybe he only uses like fish bones as weapons. Something like that. <laughs> I was trying to think of like what kind of weapons he'd use, but I don't know. Gregor has wares. If you have the coin, very dirty pants. <laughs> And if you make fun of his pants, he'll probably think it's funny, but you wouldn't know because he can't laugh. <laughs> so that is Gregor. Uh, good. So, yes, uh, join our patron. Join our Discord. Check us out on Facebook. Do the Twitter thing. Uh, all those things. But, Rich, what's what else has been going on in your life? Anything? Uh, man, I'm thinking about Donkey Kong. Nice. Are you going? Yeah. Uh, it's still up in there. Up in it's the air. Okay. Just too soon still. Okay. If you go, do you know what you want to play, or is that obviously yeah the GCACW? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're um, we're still kind of learning how to play Empire of Arms together, so that we'll actually know what we're doing when we get there. We're going to play a little live on Sunday, and I think we're going to get a few live sessions going. So we'll see how that goes. Um, it's the 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 rule book is like reading a, a calculus textbook or something. So. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully some of the guys that have actually played and know what they're doing will kind of talk me through it and we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm sure there's enough guidance there that I think it's more of just a timing thing more than anything else to see how far you guys can get with yeah. like not only learning the game, but also just like from a diplomacy standpoint. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've on my radar right now is just figuring that out and i'm playing prussia and i'm sort of starting off uh neutral just because i don't want france marching through my country on turn one so dave is playing england and he's pissed off at me because he's like you're making 1805 all over again (laughs) (laughs) like well it's historical so back off but i don't know i'm thinking about allying with austria but it's it's hard to figure out how the allies work because so when you declare when you get declared war on, you get to call your allies in. So if I ally with Austria and Austria, if I think if France declares on Austria, 
I have to go to war with France. But if Austria declares war on France, I'm not sure. It's 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 a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Crusader Kings in real life. Yeah, I think it's or, probably a good comparison. So we'll see how it you, goes. Yeah, maybe you can eat France's offspring. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then go marry your cousin. I'm I'm anxious to see how that goes. I mean, like part of that's appealing to me, but also um it's also not at the same time yeah easiest way to put it yeah i mean if we were doing like like with here i stand i'm almost always playing play by email here i stand empire arms doesn't really interest me in that way like if this was just a play by email game i don't think i'd be up for it but the fact that we're all going to do it together in a few weeks at donkey con that's that's the reason i'm doing it yeah and plus it's a pretty rare experience because it's like seven people right yeah yeah nice well, good. I have uh, really, my radar has been miniature gaming. <laughs> it's like I wasn't going to do it. And then honestly, what so, broke so what, the ca- what, what was the straw that broke the, uh, the camel's back there? Get you Curse into City, that. Um, which is the new Warhammer Quest board game coming out, um, okay. which is really cool. Like um, Strahd esque, like just think horror fantasy setting. So there's all these monsters and you're these like monster hunters and vampire hunters inside this uh, um, horror uh, Warhammer fantasy setting. Um, And just the vibe I get from that board game was like enough to like, all right, let me go see what Games Workshop's doing here. And then like I just happened to see it's like, oh, Games Workshop announced um, Sisters of Battle Gundams, which is basically nuns running around in Gundams. It's like. All right, well, that's pretty damn cool. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, there's these like smaller scale games called Warcry and Underworlds and Kill Team, and it's like you don't have to have a two thousand point army. But then you look into those, and it's like, well, I do want a two thousand point army because the backstory <laughs> behind all the forty k Space Marine chapters is way more interesting than you ever thought. And then you look at this game called Necromunda, which is like outside the big picture. It's like these hive cities, and the story behind that is like. Soylent Green, but there's a group of people that process the humans for eating, and they can't stop eating them. And so, like, there's like chaos oozing out of them while they're eating all these dead corpses. Oh, and the law enforcement guys are just like exact ripoffs of Judge Dredd, which is like it. It just hit like at a perfect storm with like Curse City dropping, and then learning about Necromunda, and then I'm on this Judge Dredd kick, and I get like a super strong Judge Dredd vibe from a lot of this stuff. It's like. All right, whatever. So, okay, I feel like I should know this because of all the time I spent with Adam, but when you you talk about Warcry, 40K, Necromunda, I mean, uh, what, you may be talking about the same publisher, but you're talking about different games, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So there are um, 40K, Warhammer 40K, 40,000, and Warhammer Age of Sigmar are like large army engagements. Like um, three by six table is is what we're talking here, right? Okay. Uh, Age of Sigmar is just the fantasy setting. There's also Warhammer Fantasy, which is coming back. That used to be an older game that was rank and file. Um, and then 40K is like your sci-fi shit. So right. Kill Team is the skirmish level of 40K. Okay. Warcry is the skirmish level of Age of Sigmar. Underworlds is another skirmish game, but it's also like a um, Magic the Gathering esque game. Like it's got card play involved as well, and oh, it's okay. also 
it's also probably the most approachable because it's like my underworlds guys are like four guys and it's a 30 card deck and i think it's really straightforward necromunda is another skirmish game that is all about it is much more role play and player advancement based like your characters in your necromunda game will die and they'll, they'll each have names and it's much more about like managing your your like gang territories in between sessions and like you may go into a battle and play for 10 minutes and be like oh no i want to bug out of here because i don't want to lose my guy so it's much more <laughs> narrative based and that's okay that's about all i know so so far. in necromunda is it player versus player or yeah. player versus like a gm or a story player versus player you have okay. one one guy that kind of runs the campaign um and you can do different things like um the necromunda box i bought is called dark darkness rising or, or something like that and that's like that's really messed up stuff with the cannibals but like you can also just have like there's necromunda gangs like the gangs of this massive hive city think like a mega tower from judge dread basically and uh like it's just competing gangs so you can have that or you can have it like more story focused around like these cannibals and, and chaos coming out in the city and all this weird shit um and you can there's like rules for like 1v1v1 and stuff like that but the my big takeaway here is one uh i'm enjoying painting this time around more because i'm a little more invested in in what i'm painting mm-hmm. um and just the backstories of these factions i mean they have the advantage of being around for over 40 years um but it's so much more interesting than i ever thought and like the fiction that how I'm how many factions is, are there in 40k Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, like, if you just count the Space Marines as one, then there's probably 20. Um, but, like, there's different chapters of the Space Marines as well. So, probably, I don't know, 27 or something like that. Wow. Just in 40K. Like, because there's four big factions, Chaos, um, Space Marines, Armies of the Imperium, and then Orcs. Uh, but orcs are probably under destruction or so I don't remember. But there's there's like twenty plus in both Age of Sigmar and forty uh, k. So what are you painting up? Okay, so in Warcry I've got Untamed Beasts, and I'm I'm trying this. I've got this uh, series up on YouTube that I'm trying to just update every couple weeks, where I'm just using contrast paints and trying to learn those and get good with those. Those are really nice. Yeah, they're good. I, I think there's some things to learn. Like, I painted a yellow Space Marine, and it's just like, if you're going to use yellow, you can't let it pool up. You can't be that fast with it. But, like, the brown looks amazing, and the skin tone, I think, looks great. Uh, yeah, so Untamed I'm, Beast. I'm not a good painter by any stretch of the imagination, but the more I paint, the the thinner I get with my paints, and the more yeah. I'm just like, okay, do a thin layer. Yep. You know, especially like if you're painting six guys in a squad or something, paint really thin, paint all six. By the time you do the sixth one, the first one's dry and ready to sure. get a second layer. Yeah. Two thin layers and water down your paint. Yep. Um, in contrast, help with, a, it just speeds it up a little bit, but it, it basically, it just kind of pools in areas it's supposed to and, and kind of stretches away from high points. And, but some of the colors work better than others. Anyways. Uh, so in 40 K I'm, I'm doing, um, battles, the nuns, um, the Battle Sisters and Imperial Fist. One will be Kill Team, one will be 40K. And then in Necromunda, I'm doing the Judge Dread guys. It's cool. I like. Do you, are you doing any like any big stuff, vehicles or anything like that? Or? No, because I just don't want to mess them up because it is it is expensive. And, and I say I'm doing all these guys. I am being 
I'm trying not to rush into the hobby, so I'm very limited in like, oh yeah, the, there are so many cool factions, but it's like, well, just finish your untamed beasts yeah. before I go buy a tank, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And well, once you, once you get 20, 30, 40 painted, you'll look back at your first one and go, well, that's crap. I got to redo yeah. that. <laughs> no, for, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm keeping my first yellow. So I'm running Imperial <laughs> Fist Marines, which are yellow and red. And they're kind of like, they're defensive, but they're also like siege masters. And I kind of like their backstory for a space Marine chapter. Yeah. And, um, I'm going to save this first yellow guy I did because he's got like all these orange splotches. And like, <laughs> I have since learned and watched several videos on like how to just make them a little bit better. So that's, I'm leaving him as a, uh, a starting point. Gauge. The before picture. Yeah. I really can't. Um, so it's my brother and then his buddy, um, and then I'm there's there's already 40k groups in Kansas City that I'm sure when things are well I know they're playing now but I, I mean I'm not gonna go but I'm sure I'll be able to pick up games and but then it's like oh yeah I should uh, I should get these boats primed up for uh, commands at sea and then oh I've got this Bloodborne board game <laughs> painted up and so uh, yeah, it's fun and I, every I game you ever buy fun. with miniatures from now on you're gonna look at them and go well I gotta paint those. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to keep it fun. So I don't want to like I and that's another reason why I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself with the minis because I don't want to be like, oh, man, I've got 500, you know, dudes or gals to paint now. And I don't want it to be that way. I want to keep looking forward to when I get the time to like put 10 minutes in on this one guy and, you know, call it a night. So it's fun. I I, like I know you play Star Wars Legion Mm -hmm. and. Like when I tried to play Star Wars Legion, I was just like, I don't want to glue stuff together and I hate painting. And that was one reason like the commands at sea stuff, because you just buy your boats or you buy your little wooden counters and you're good to go on a flat table. Congrats, you have an ocean. Um, But I don't know. I've got a new outlook on it. Yeah. So the older Star Wars Legion stuff used to come with every many in its own little Ziploc bag and they were unassembled, but they were already cut out and everything. So at some point in the past, I don't remember exactly when Star Wars Legion started using sprues. Uh-huh. And now, so like if I open up an older box, I'm like, okay, I'm going to paint this up. I, I literally, this happened just maybe two or three weeks ago. I opened up a box of something that was a little newer, saw they were on sprues and put them right back in the box and said, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so yeah, my, my Inferno squad is still in the box because I'm too lazy to cut them off the sprue. I don't like cutting, but I can tell you what I have really enjoyed is the gluing is kind of like advanced Legoing. Yeah. Because you piece them together, make sure they, like, especially some of the, like, Warhammer fits. Like, Warhammer is expensive, but, man, those Game Workshop minis are really nice. Like, they're so much better than anything else I've really dealt with before. Um, But they go away, for the most part, they go together in a very specific way, and it is, like... I don't know. As long as I keep it fun, it's just kind of like, yeah, I'm gluing Legos and shit. Yeah. I don't know why, but when I did my Death Troopers a couple weeks ago, they were a pain in the ass to put together. Most of the stuff I really like, like I loved doing the Tauntauns. Those were, they're a little bigger. Um, they fit together really well. I, I really enjoyed painting those. Honestly, anytime I have to do a squad, I'm mostly just painting them just so that they can go on the table. But if I do a command or like a single unit, I'll take my time and and really do a good job. And I'm, I'm pretty happy the way the last, my last couple turned out. I did director critic and I did, uh, I did Versio and they both turned out pretty good. 
one of these when things go back to normal when we meet up in Columbia, I, I really would like to learn uh, Legion, even at the skirmish level. So, yeah, get a couple of those painted up. I would love to play. Um, yeah, and I've got plenty for. Actually, I think I have enough for two eight hundred point armies now. So, oh wow, which yeah. which which types? Uh, Rebels and Empire. I don't have any okay. of the the new stuff at all. The gotcha. clones or uh, CIS or whatever they call it. The robots. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you heard a chain of command? I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a we have a listener, Bo, and then um, Caleb, uh, Salty Wendingo, and uh, Bo mentioned he played Chain of Command for the first time, and, and Caleb mentioned it was one of his favorite games, and that's Tactical World War Two. And it's like, well, dang, that's appealing because then I just buy like a few Finnish troops and throw some white paint on them, give them some snow uniforms. And give those a try. So I'm interested to learn more about that. There's actually um, next Friday we're doing another history off the table uh, with Caleb, who's been painting for years and years. Like he's been in this stuff since he was a teen. And we're gonna we're gonna talk Warhammer, but also like his current interest is historical stuff. So I really want to pick his brain on the chain of command stuff because. Uh, at some level, I am obviously interested in historical wargaming, but like I don't think. The more I learn about this stuff, like I'm not as interested in doing Antietam as I thought maybe I was like six months ago. Yeah, I love. But I armor. am interested. I mean, in, like, I love little... World War II armor and miniatures. That would be cool. Like, yeah. and and I'm not talking crazy, but just like a few tanks on a few tanks or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And so, I don't know how many guys you usually have in Chain of Command, but it's I I want to pick his brain because like a, a skirmish World War II sounds pretty fun. And I get yeah. fins, so. <laughs> and then the board's a lot easier, too, because you just put a white tablecloth down in your dome. Yeah, right. Now, you know things have gotten out of control when I do a uh, MTV Cribs-esque or an Adam <laughs> Chance-esque welcome, you know, Cribs tour of all the unpainted and unplayed minis, which is still one of my favorite videos. It just cracks me up that he did that. Bless Adam's heart. <laughs> Well, you've got the perfect table for uh, historical minis too, because you've got the river running right. A through the river in every—that's—that's yeah. that's my joke. It's like <laughs> you retire, you retire to your room for the evening. A, a fire crackles in the fireplace, and a river runs through your room. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there's a river in every scene. Ah, uh, good, 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 good. Anything else going on? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh no, I think that's it. Good. I will I will try not to um bog down our episodes with uh non historical mini talk in the future, but No, it's uh, at the if, end. They they know. They know they once know. we anything get the goes. game on the list, anything goes. Yeah, anything goes. <laughs> uh but I'm trying to do like one YouTube video a week ish. Uh sometimes they're live, sometimes they're pre recorded. That's just kind of my goal right now. They take a lot of time, I've learned. Um, but I am enjoying it. So I, I do plan on, you know, tracking my progress with painting and, uh, obviously we'll do, uh, board games and more games and stuff over there too. But yeah. if you're interested in that stuff, that's kind of where I'll save the date on painting. I too. think about that from time to time, just because I'm often looking for videos of, you know, walkthroughs of games and teaching roles and stuff like that. And if I can't find one, my next thought is usually, I should make one. And then my next thought is usually, eh, it sounds like a lot of work. 
<laughs> I agree. It it is a lot of work, and it's so much easier for us to just hop on a Skype call and hit record and go. Yeah. I don't have to put pants on. <laughs> I don't have to tidy up the table or pick up the game I was working on or worry about lighting or anything like that. Gosh, lighting. Anyways. Well, good. Good, good, good. Um, all right, folks. That is going to do it for us. We'll be back next month. I'll probably be talking some ASL and ATS for sure, um, based off what I've got coming up and some Civil War gameplay, all that good stuff. Uh, hey, real quick, if if you're listening to this the day it goes live, you still have a few hours left to check out Wandering Stars, which is Jason from AAC's space role-playing game. It's a lot of fun. He's doing a Zine Quest game. I've played it. Uh, super rules light, but basically think um, wacky sci-fi away team adventures with crazy backstories and a really fun character generator, which uh, gave me some inf- uh, inspiration for Gregor's backstory. Uh, so check it out, Wandering Stars. If you're listening to this live, you got a few hours left to go back that zine. It's like five bucks if you want the PDF, so just go check yeah, it out. Just get it. Just get it. And uh, I think he's got some uh, he's got some episodes on Podbean playing that system too. So, yeah, fair warning, I am smashing a lot of those episodes. <laughs> it's a lot of it fun. It is the uh, alcoholic adventures cabal. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, so check that out, please. Just go run and do that. Uh, let's see, we got a YouTube channel, History on the Table. Join our Facebook, History on the Table with Matt and Rich. Join our Discord if you want to chat with us. Follow me on Twitter at History Table Pod. Uh, Rich, you're on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Trapeer Jr. You can look at pictures of whatever I'm playing at the time and occasionally see me get frustrated at the blues. Yes. Lots of hockey talk. <laughs> wow, we went this whole... We had our patron live chat last week and like it did not take us long to start talking hockey. Actually, I think the blues were on when we did it. Yeah. Um, speaking of, check out our Patreon. Uh, questions, concerns, whatever, shoot us an email. HistoryTablePodcast at gmail.com. HistoryTablePodcast at gmail.com. Good night, everyone.